0: You're listening to Deeply Rooted with Dr. Kretisa, where we encourage you not only to just wash your hair on wash day, but check your soul. Living in America with natural hair is a unique experience. We should be discussing it and giving witness to our own vulnerable and sometimes hilarious stories. Hair stories that encompass much more than just how we style it. Everyone's hair journey is different. Everyone's hair is different. This is a safe space for Black voices. On today's episode, I speak with Shalita Grant, Juilliard grad, television actress, and Tony Award nominee, best known for her role as a special agent on NCIS New Orleans, Sonia Percy. She is on the hit series, You. She comes from a family of hairstylists and has created her own patent-pending dermatologically tested hair care line called Four Naturals, specifically made to address common care concerns and lack of knowledge related to treatment, care, and understanding of 4C hair. Shalita will share all about her decision to leave her successful job to engage in self-care and how it led to a creation of an Ayurvedic treatment that enhances and repairs natural hair. Please join me in welcoming Shalita Grant to the show.
1: Hi. <laughs> I mean, after that, I'm like, I want to meet her too. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for that.
0: Like, yes, that is you, girl. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't wait to, to, to jump in. We have so much um, to talk about. And so I'm going to start where I always start. What were wash days like in your house, in your family?
1: Oh gosh. So when I was a child, wash day was, wasn't really a thing. Um, (laughs) we didn't like care for our natural hair. So because I come from a family of hairstylists, um, I would go to the salon and like you would hope that they would have time to like do your hair that day. <laughs> so that was the truth of like, you know, growing up. And then for me personally too, because my mom was a young mom, you know, I didn't live with her like a lot of my childhood. So most of the, the people that like cared for me were grateful that I had a relaxer on my hair because <laughs> my hair wasn't like, it wasn't, it was typical African-American hair. It was like poofy, it shrank. And so they were like, gotta like
0: relax this. Mm, okay. What were your earliest memories from being in the salon and hanging oh, out? Gosh. <laughs> um, oh man. You know,
1: all of the inappropriate conversations that adult <laughs> women have in front of children. <laughs> okay. So one of the, one of the, funniest uh, first memories where I like kind of picked up on like, I guess when I was in there, I just thought that this was how people talked, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. was grown and like, they seemed so comfortable mm-hmm. and they would always talk about this like period thing and they would all get so like, you know, impassioned or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so one day my, one of my aunts, her friend was over at the hair salon and she was like waiting in the waiting area and they were like talking or whatever. And so I asked to do her hair. And so she sat down on the floor. She thought it was so cute. She sat Aww. down on the floor and I started doing her hair and I was like so when was your period and everybody like freaked out and I was like what the heck I think I was like four and I was just like what we are all like I don't understand I thought this is what you do you touch the hair you go period and then like everybody like is excited right so I thought I was gonna get like brownie points and I did not they were nope. like where no get from? Sit your girl behind. You know, like it was like that. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Just out here taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> this, and and I have to say, like, <laughs> now that I'm like thinking about the salon, <laughs> uh this Four Naturals is not my first foray into like hair entrepreneurship and like, um, like creating a different technique. Ooh. So when I was 8, my cousin, um <laughs> my cousin Davon, uh he had like really tight tight forehair hair and this was during like the waves, right? When all okay, the guys yes. were wearing waves and mm-hmm. he, his hair was so dry and like dull and he couldn't get the waves. So I at 8, I was like, "Yo, I could do this." So I took like two rat tail cones mm-hmm. and I was like working it to make it oh, look like the waves, right? And And so I was like, okay, that's good. But what if I started from scratch, right? Like what if I like barber cut his hair and then did the waves and they were all like, it would just like grow out like that. So I convinced him when he came over to the salon to to come around the back. So the way (laughs) my grandma would like, she would renovate the salon like every three years, like that one space, she's Mm -hmm. been in that one space. Uh, the strip mall that shared with Domino's Pizza mm-hmm. for thirty-four years. Wow. Like the 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 salon is like older than me. She's been in that space, but every like three years she would renovate it. But the way it was set up before was there were like a bank of, uh, boots in front, Mm -hmm. like facing Mm -hmm. the, the, the entrance. And then there were the bank on the back that faced the dryers. So everybody's boots, she didn't have that many employees, but you know, she was like goals, like, you know, Mm -hmm. manifest, um, everybody was on the front end and they were all up there talking. So I convinced Davon to come around the back and let me like clip his hair. So I could start the mo waves. That's what I call them, the mo waves, e- emo like waves? imitation waves, mm. mo waves, mo waves. I love <laughs> so-
0: it. Entrepreneur. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, right, right, like genius. So he comes around the back, and there are these two ladies in the back, like under the dryers, and they're like watching us. And so I put him in the the, the thing. In the chair, and then I take my grandma's clippers. Now, I'm like, how hard is this, right? Oh, like, Lord. <laughs> you, just, you just use it and you go this way and the hair come off, right? <laughs> so I didn't have the guard on. Ooh. No, I did have the guard on. Of oh, course, okay. I had the guard on. And I was like doing it. And I was like, this is a guard, meaning it's stopping me from cutting. And I was like, that's why I can't get the hair to come off. But as I'm going, the ladies in the back are like, oh my goodness. And they're being loud because they got the hood dryer. Mm-hmm. And they're talking to each other. like, oh, my God. Look at her. Wow, these kids. I swear. They just are so smart. And look at how she looks. Look at how she. And I was, like, really in love with the praise, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I also was, like, trying to, like, figure out my process. This is my first time. So I took the big guard off, and then I put on, like, a smaller guard. Mm-hmm. And then I was going, and then I got my first uh, dent. And I was like, "Oh, whoa! <laughs> that wasn't supposed to go that low." <laughs> first plug, first plug. I was like, "All right, let me, let me, let me work on this side over Wait, here, right?" And
0: Davon is doing Wait. what? Is he like and Davon is calm? just like in
1: hope. He's just really in a state <laughs> of hopefulness because I, I, w- I am the oldest cousin. I'm the first grandchild okay. of my like generation, mm-hmm. and my mom is the oldest. But this is like my second cousin. So, oh my God. You get into my family, like, so my grandma's like one of 13 (laughs) and Mm. um, her sister like, and my great, great grandmother died when I was nine. So all of my, on my mom's side, everybody was a young mom. Like my grandma was 15. Mm -hmm. My great grandma was 13. Um, So these are like second cousins. So I'm the oldest and smartest cousin that he knows. So he was in hope that I was going to work this thing out. So Mm. I get my second plug.
0: Look at that, and that, then that, I'm that like, cousin Hope. That cousin <laughs> Hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. He believed in me.
1: <laughs> that's why, you know, a note to the listeners never hire someone's cousin. If you're like, hey, do you know someone? And they're like, oh my God, my cousin. Don't do it because they believe in each other in a way that's just not practical. Mm-hmm. Um, so avoid that contact at all costs. Uh-huh. Anyway, I'm down to like my fourth plug, right? And I'm like shifting his head so that they can't see all of what's going on. But by the fourth plug, there's nowhere else for me to revolve him. And so they start seeing it and they, oh, oh, and I,
0: oh, <laughs> not the commentary. I love yeah. that. Yeah.
1: I I <laughs> it, it. It, it was, it was, yeah. And, and yeah, they quickly learned that I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So eventually I I was just like, I can't take this L. And I look at the Clippers. and I'm like, Dave, something wrong with these Clippers. And he was like, He looked in the mirror and he saw his hair. And I didn't think that boys were vain. I mean, I didn't (laughs) think they were... But he, like, was like, oh, my God. And he went around now. Like, I grew up in the 90s, so we... Corporal punishment was real. So yeah. I was scared, right, for myself mm-hmm. um, because I did not do a good job. In fact, I did a really bad job and nobody told me to do this. And, so and then I you I was didn't get trouble.
0: permission. You told me to go I around get the permission. back. But...
1: Exactly. Like I <laughs> snuck and did this. Like I am in real trouble. So I just stayed around the back with the old ladies who were no longer my fans. And um, he went around the corner and I just remember. They were talking and it was like, oh. And then everybody bust out laughing. And I was so <laughs> relieved that they laughed. Oh my God. And they were like, what the hell? Like, they didn't really hail because my grandma, Chris Picho, you know, you don't use those words. They were like, what happened to you, Damon? And he was crying. He was like, Chalita. <laughs> I, Chalita got Chalita. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know, you got to fail your way up though. You know, four naturals never had that
0: experience. So. And you know what, what, what stuck out to me, you had the confidence. You believed in yourself. Don't nobody I really else did. need to believe in you. Let, let's I really go. Did. I got yeah. goals. <laughs> yeah. Goals, but you know, failure is part of that process. So everything's okay. How did you prefer to wear your hair? Like, I guess as a teenager,
1: as a teenager, so because my family was a hair family and mm-hmm. we were so extra, right? <laughs> and my mom, like, she was young, but she had a habit of like moving us into like these school districts that like were mainly white because she thought the education would be better. Uh, but then we would get evicted, so every year. So I tell people I went to six different elementary schools, but a lot of that was just us like moving you Mm -hmm. know to different like districts Mm -hmm. or whatever um but in those schools like those white girls weren't like coming with braids and like all that kind of stuff right and so my like my family were one of the first people that were styling ponytails into bows. Like I Mm. had that at like nine, like with my own hair, they shaped it into a bow. And I was like, this is too extra. Like I can't (laughs) go in this white people's school looking like this. (laughs) So by the time I got to my teens, I just like, I wanted to be like, quote unquote, normal. Like I Mm -hmm. wanted to like fit in. So I was okay with my hair being relaxed. I remember Mm. like, in my photos, in my like, (laughs) in my like preteens, I had the shortest, like stringiest, like relaxed hair. Mm -hmm. And that's what I rocked, like all through high school.
0: That uh, same, same. I wore, it was, that idea of going to a predominantly white school and honestly that is the life of what it means to like when you moving on up you are also moving schools (laughs) because every two years I switched schools as well until I got to high school and we stayed in the same location but that was a big thing was moving and upward mobility also meant that there were some additional challenges with going to school and trying to like just live.
1: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. like be in this new place with all these people that have like mainly known each other for Mm -hmm. like all this time and you just being like, for me, my like life is like the perpetual new girl. Right. And then I chose a career that has that same, same like instability. Like I can't like be on a TV show for 30 years like that it that's a rarity in mm-hmm, my business. Mm-hmm. So you're always doing a new job. So I feel like my childhood like prepped me really well for <laughs> my life
0: choice. Nice. So yeah. how did you go from high school wearing your hair very straight um, and relaxed to? Here you are at the top of your career working at NCIS, and you were very vocal about the reason that you left in season four. All of it was because of your hair. Can you tell us about it?
1: Yeah. So that evolution, so going to Juilliard and, you know, our schedule was very tight. Like your first year, you're only guaranteed an hour for lunch and an hour for dinner. And you go from 9 a.m. or 9.30 to 10 p.m. Monday through Friday. So like wash day, like that Mm -hmm. whole idea of like spending like all this time on your hair was like that still wasn't like a concept that I knew about until (laughs) until. after my first year, right. So I'm wearing my hair straight, but I don't have the time for the maintenance. Right. And so somebody told me about the Dominican salons. And so I go Eh. up to like Washington Heights and Uh I get my hair blown out and they were like blowing it out out. Um, and I didn't know that until I went home to visit, uh, in Virginia. And my mom was like, your hair is for ride. And so the whole top, she was like, I'm only going to cut what's damaged, right? And that turned into this mullet, right? So like I had, the the whole top was like really short and then the back has survived a little bit. So that was like a little Uh, longer. So she was like, you still had your hang time. But it was like
0: 2007, you know what I mean? And that was- on its way out, early 90s. Like it yeah, was like yeah. 87 was to, to 93. Gang.
1: <laughs> totally late, totally late and totally unintentional. Um, and so I show back up to New York with this mullet and um, Nicole Bahari, uh, who's an actress and she also went to Juilliard and she was a fourth year at the time. Okay. And she saw me with this mullet and I was like talking about like how hard it is to care for my hair. <laughs> and she was like, you should go natural. And she spent like the five minutes between our classes, like schooling me on going Mm. natural. And that wasn't something that had ever occurred to me because I did not know how to care for my naturally textured hair. So she told me about the YouTube. And (laughs) the YouTube, back then it was
0: the YouTube. Yes. Yes.
1: I went to the YouTube and I discovered like, wow, okay, you can use like these drugstore products and do these like twists with your hair. And okay. Mm -hmm. Like I get that. Like that's like rollers, but with your own hair, like, because I'm coming from like the hair salon world where we only styled, there was no care. Mm -hmm. Um, so from there I was natural and it was great. I was natural all through Juilliard and, um, after as well and then I did an audition about a year two years after graduating I did this audition for this show and I just knew what the character looked like and I knew Mm -hmm. that it would require me to like flat iron my hair and I hadn't flat ironed my hair in years so I was like also low-key excited to see like The length, right? (laughs) And so I like straightened my hair and I did this audition and I got this callback and it was for a TV show and this was in New York. So it was hard for me to get callbacks in New York for TV, Mm -hmm. which is why I ended up moving to LA. Well, I didn't get the job. And then I get in the shower and like rinse out my hair and my curls, no more shrink. Like the shrink that I used to fight Could not get it to do that to save my life. There were parts that were just totally straight. And for months, I was like using creams and things to try to get the curl to revive. Never did. So then that started my big chop cycle. And that took me... Years like that happened in I would say like 2012. Mm -hmm. I was nominated for a Tony in 2013. Yes, and then I moved to LA. (laughs) Yeah, right, I moved to LA. And I learned about like Hollywood hair and how like they don't ride for you if you ain't got enough hair. So Mm -hmm. I started like going back to my hair salon roots and like doing wigs and extensions and things. And Mm -hmm. then I got this job. And the way that I got that job, season one, I came on as a guest star and my hair was like straight, but it was like relaxed straight. And I was wearing this like little wig but it would be like in a messy ponytail and they let me wear it down one episode. But then when we came back for season two and I was a series regular, they were like only in a ponytail. And then it was like, and the ponytail, the texture of the ponytail can't be too tight. And so that began this like odyssey of extensions mm-hmm. that turned into traction alopecia in the middle of season uh. two and then we ended up doing like just like my natural hair pulled into a ponytail with this like ponytail attachment from the like the brown Store store mm-hmm. right <clears throat> on this like big show And then season three, I was like, okay, I want to do wigs. Like, I just want to do a wig, attach it, I'll sew it onto my head, and we can use my promoter for a leave out. Because I was like, also thinking of how to preserve myself. And then that evolved into what I started take documenting in 2017, I documented January, like how like far my leave out had mm. been broken off compared to like my wig underneath okay. hair. And then in my hiatus, I saw that in six months time, I had literally an inch of hair in the front of my skull. Wow.
0: And I was like, yo, so this is a drastic change that you can <laughs> clearly see and you know the time stamp from one time to the to the next and you just see your hair just dying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to mention like, you know, all of the, you know, I'm <clears throat> um, – this young black woman on this big, you know, network show and like what that means to like so many people. Mm-hmm. And they would talk about it online and they would be like, what the hell is wrong with this girl's hair? Like, why can't her hair get right? And that was hard because I was literally doing my best and no one understood the the lengths that I had to go to even keep the hair that I had. And so during that summer, it was just like, all right, I gotta go. (laughs) Like, at this point, I've tried it all. We've had all these meetings, like whatever, I just gotta go. So but before I go, I'm not gonna let them damage my hair anymore. That's gonna be my boundary. And so I came back with the most unnatural looking wig, I I think anybody's seen. But that was really just like, like, I gave up. I just gave up. Was that the season
0: four wig? That was the season four wig. I heard that that wig made people uncomfortable watching it. Like people, black people who are sitting at the television in their own home, watching you be black on the show. It made them feel uncomfortable to see your hair that way. Yeah, And you did your best to like act through it. And like, and also tell me, I guess how your hair or the incompatibility between your hair and your character and how that played out. Cause I mean, New Orleans, straight hair for a black woman in New Orleans. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And there, and that was like, it was just like, (laughs) there was so much around that, that did not make sense. And even like the reasons why they wanted the straight hair did not make any sense. You know, like it was like, Oh, we just don't want vanity. And it's like, well, that's the definition of vanity is like trying to, alter your hair texture, especially in like humidity and mm-hmm. this hair texture responds to water, how it froze out, stands up, and then it shrinks and gets stiff. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if any of my hair is out, I'm fighting nature, right. With my yep. hair. Yep. And so, yeah, like there was a lot of cognitive dissonance between me and my character. And as an actress, like I had no pride in my work. Like I went mm-hmm. from, you know, doing, like, the most on Broadway, like, eight shows a week, like, Mm. day in, day out, hundreds of performances, repetitions, you know, I still, my body still... Um, you hear that click that I got (laughs) from doing that show. Like you do this repetitive motion with like weighted objects over time, like it wears and tears on your body. And so that's how dedicated I am to my career and to my characters and to my performances. And that was a time where I had no pride in my work Mm -hmm. to the point where I didn't even watch it. Like I, it was just a job and that like was really hard for me. And it scared me, too, that I thought, you know, <clears throat> making a decision to leave something is a big deal, mm-hmm. especially if you're making that decision in, in our society for yourself, right? And as a black woman, you know… When we choose ourselves, society has already tried to convince us in every way that we don't have value, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so why would you choose something that doesn't have value over something that literally pays you, right? And so that was a big deal for me. That was a spiritual thing for me to do. And in choosing myself, I was walking through that fear of, like, you'll never work again, right? Mm. Like, you'll be labeled as difficult and you'll never work again, right? Wow. And so for me, my response to that was, let me, like, think about why I would actually never work again. Because if someone, you know, knew that the reason I had to leave the show was because there literally was no way for me to do my job Mm. because of the artificial – you know, challenges that were put in front of me. Right. Like this is just not a match artistically. Right. If, if they're going to make that decision, then they're not for me. Right. But if they do know that, then what would actually make them sour on me? Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, well, if people don't understand that a lot of times when people are reacting to things, they're reacting to their own trauma. Right. And so I was thinking like, I, I think if I worked with people, especially like the hair people, mm-hmm. and I saw anything that resembled what I went through on that show, because part of the the trauma of like, when you're going through something and people are taking you through it, mm-hmm. when you leave that situation. The, the postmortem on that is like, also a little victim blame, right? Like why did I allow that to happen? Mm-hmm, I should have mm-hmm. never allowed that to happen, right? And that puts like the onus on of what happened to you on to you, but exactly. you didn't cause it, right? And so a lot of times people overcorrect after the fact and because they have that like that like internal pact with themselves of like I'll never let someone do that to me again when they see something that resembles the thing that they said they'll never let happen again Mm -hmm. their reaction is a lot stronger right but that's like it's not even about the thing it's like it's your other stuff. Mm-hmm. People don't appreciate that. And they're not going to stop and like reflect with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're just going to be like, she's a bitch, right? She's crazy. She's difficult. She's hard to, to work with. I just said one thing and she blew off the handle. So I was like, look, my triggers are my responsibility. And at the time, like going through all of this, I was in like talk therapy. Mm-hmm. And my therapist was like, you – need to look into somatic therapy. If, if the things that the fears that you, these are your fears, then this is how you solve that for yourself. And it's true. There are, there are therapists. This is a, you know, trauma therapy. It's relatively new mm-hmm. and people are just starting to talk about how the body does actually keep score. And that mm-hmm. like whole area of psychology is built on that. Like guy wrote that book. Yeah. Um, but we're just talking about it, but it's true. Everyone is dealing with some form of PTSD, right? And yes. that's like the body, right? And so, if you can work with and be able to tolerate the feelings that your body produces, mm-hmm. then that puts you back into a place of like control and safety, right? Yes. Because yes. now, I understand, you know, that heat that's rising up in my chest and mm. like, oh, it's hard for me to breathe. And ooh, I'm only looking in one spot. Let me look up, you know, like I have all these tools now to like help me with my body, like be more comfortable in the skin that I'm in. Right. Mm-hmm. And Because I have that comfort and I, you know, I have this like tick, not Han uh, you know I have arrived, I am home I'm safe. I have arrived, I am home I am safe and I am safe because I am stronger than any energy and mm-hmm. this is all I am spe- I am experiencing now is energy. Mm-hmm. And so like it took me three months of that like practice and like calling up all of those like scenarios that make my body rage right yeah. with that like time that I paused or that time that I like you know flew, you know, off the handle Mm -hmm. (laughs) or that time when I like, you know, just like went for it, you know? So it took me three months and then I was like, all right, I think I'm chill. I booked a show. I booked like a recur and I got on set and, you know, I took that for a walk but I was still in a wig, yo. Like, (laughs) So So you did all
0: that therapy, all that trauma therapy separately, and you were still in a place where a wig was more comfortable.
1: Yeah, because I hadn't figured out the hair stuff. And then when I realized like, all right, internally I'm good, but there's still like some things that I, and this is how I like lit on this. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, But there's still these moments of agreement when I think about like the why, why did I jump through so many hoops Mm -hmm. to like try to like make this thing happen, right? The why, why. And when I thought back on it, it was because there was some unspoken agreement on my part that my hair was difficult Mm -hmm. and that my hair did need to be controlled to look professional. That it was my responsibility to make this un this like impossible thing possible mm-hmm. with the hair and the knowledge that i had right and so i had to like sit with those agreements like why why did you feel that way and it was like because that's how i feel that is my literal experience with just myself like with just myself it is hard for me to figure out my hair it mm-hmm. is it is frustrating and challenging to figure out how to deal with water and how it reacts, how my hair reacts to that. And so I was like, but the only reason that like makes me feel so out of control is because I haven't actually tried to solve this for myself because I didn't think that it was solvable because every black woman I know is dealing with this Mm -hmm. and every product that is on offer is either telling us that we have to change it like structurally. Mm-hmm. And so what, what is on offer like chemically breaks down our hair
0: yeah.
1: or it they say cover it with a hair hat. That's what I called my wigs. You've got to cover it with a hair hat or some extensions, but you can't just be free. And then when you are just free, yeah, people do feel like it's a political statement, but what is the what is the experience like? out for the person right Mm -hmm. like forget what other people think what is the experience well the experience is laborious it does take a lot of time it's very confusing Because our hair gets inconsistent. Like there are products at work and then they just don't. Then, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no payoff, right? You do these twist outs that take hours and hours and hours. And then when you take it out, it doesn't look like it did before. And you literally did everything the exact same way, right? And so there's just like, and then there's the shame, right? Of, Mm -hmm. you know, I know what I did to get out of the house to look like I did six hours ago. And I just feel
0: betrayed by my hair (laughs)
1: because what in the, you know what I mean? Yes, (laughs) yes. And I I can't explain it. I
0: I love how you were able to note the hair trauma of it and the traumatic aspect of it because you're right. When you say somatic, you mean like the body, like the physical body body. and being in your fields where you have to allow someone to um, change and maneuver parts of your body and for it to be like... For them to have feelings about your hair, for you to have feelings, internalized feelings about your hair. And again, all of this is put in the backdrop of if your hair isn't good, then your job is not there. You don't get opportunities. You don't, it's like upward mobility is not available for you if you can't get your hair together. So when you're taking time to think about, um, even if you want to like build yourself up and build your confidence or whatever, but you have to, you have to address not only how you feel about your hair, but then address how the public feels about your hair and the studio and then the hairstylist and so and then this-
1: also how your hair behaves. Mm. Because that's the other thing was that I wanted to become one with my hair. Mm. But my hair felt like this other entity, right? Like people feel a certain way about me, Shalita but they feel a different way about my hair, right? But yeah. it's one and the same, right? Very true. <laughs> and Shalita behaves a certain way, but my hair – behaves in its own way i am consistent my hair is not like that is hard
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) how do you it sounds like it's hard for hollywood too because all they're thinking about is the money at the end like oh well now we're wasting time reshooting and going back into hair and makeup because you have to do this you got to fix this but however had you given proper consideration in the beginning for the budget, you would have budgeted for a black woman's hair throughout the process. But
1: but beyond that, right? Like, yes, absolutely the budget, but also like realistic, like be realistic. And Mm. also I know that there is so much like push for you know, diversity. And there's that there was that whole thing, especially like in the early 2000s, like write a man and just put a woman's name on it. That's, it's as easy as that. And so it's the same for when you're putting in black characters. It's like, mm-hmm. well, d- make them any ethnicity and then make them black, but then have them constrained to these like very white, like- set of limitations like yeah. let your your characters be culturally black and the hair culture of your actress is like kind of where you're you should start from because that person is going to be that character so if their hair health is a certain way then their character would want to make certain choices mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but like why put this outside you know uh limitation or, or culture on this character when the actual actress has to physically make that happen. Mm. And you don't have an answer to make your idea happen. Right? Mm. (laughs) Like if you can't do it, then why do you expect her and your hair department who does not do any of this normally to to make that vision happen it's just not possible
0: you make a great point about because the makeup artists that we have or that you have are they trained are they trained the in hair people hair? no they're
1: they're no and and sag there are a lot of people and I am also going to be a part of this conversation because of the experience that I had mm-hmm. I think that it's you know super important that you know, they understand like systemically how this works because the hair department head hires their key, their third and, you know, the fourth and the fifth, if the production is that large. Well, mainly if you're, it's like the culture, the reason behind like why people hire the way that they hire is you're going to be at work for 16 hours. Would you rather be at work with 16 hours with somebody that you know? Who may or may not have the experience with the actresses and actors that you're working with? Or would you rather hire a professional that could, but may, you may not like, right? Most people are going to make the comfortable decision, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's my life, 16 hours. I want to spend it with people that I like and you get a budget. And so you can just, like, hire some local hair salon to do a style on your actress and then have people maintain it. But it's the maintenance. Like, if they don't know what they're doing, the maintenance is where you start seeing the breakdown on Mm -hmm. camera. But again, I could blame the actress for that. And that's what happens.
0: And what we really need is a, a foundation of acceptance of Black women's hair and stop blaming them for the hair that grows out of their head. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you for your contribution. Everybody, thanks, Aww, Shalita Grant. Guys. <laughs> Make sure you come back for part two of my interview with Shalita Grant. We are going to talk all about the historical grooming tips that she found from the ancestors. Hey everyone. So one of the things that struck me when I got done the interview, and you know I always reflect on things. Why? Why do we need to understand what keeps our hair healthy? And why is it important for us to be researching and using techniques that were given to us by our ancestors? Because we can reduce similar trauma that Shalita experienced and others with whom you trust your hair care. It's not always you that does your hair. You have to trust someone else to take care of you in that way. And I know you heard the word trauma, you heard us talk about it, and some people are like, trauma? really girl, are we stretching it just a bit? And the answer is no. In the grand scheme of things, there are a lot more important things in this world to be concerned about, but regardless of how minute the experience has been, it may still register as trauma. So most people, when they think about trauma, they're thinking PTSD, going to war, you know, crouched in corner flashbacks, like you're just there, but trauma is defined as a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. So what are your experiences around hair? Are any of them deeply disturbing or distressing? Because in 2017, Shalita mentioned how and documented how this experience impacted her traumatically at her workplace. And because she's an actress, her workplace is is where people are manipulating her hair and using her body to get her into character. But she mentioned that, like, even if you did have the the hair texture that Hollywood wanted you to have, Hollywood was definitely not riding with you. Even if you had that quote unquote good hair, even if you had hair that was considered acceptable or manageable, they still didn't do what they needed to do to make sure that they were providing a healthy service to their employees she mentioned going to therapy and she mentioned a word. I wanted to go back on it and discuss it and tell you a little bit more about it. It was somatic. So she said she went to a trauma therapist and she uh, specifically focused on somatic symptoms. So somatic is related to the body. So somatic symptoms are like physical symptoms that show up in your body, like rapid heart rate, uh, sweating gastrointestinal discomfort, if your brain is where the thoughts come from and, you know, form and communicate with the rest of your body, the somatic symptoms would be the body's answer to that communication or trigger. So like that fight or freeze response that just happens. Sometimes you don't even realize that you're in the fight or flight response until you get done it or you're like on your way back down and you kind of feel like, okay, I can at least process the moment because in that moment, you're not there. So when your body seems to be out of control and acting on its own accord, you may be in fight or flight mode. And so for Shalita, somebody who has to go to work and let people do her hair and, and, you know, put makeup on her, like her body has to be available. And if she is being triggered or if her body is responding in this fight, flight, or freeze response, then she's not going to feel safe at work. And when we talk about trauma, this is trauma. And that is the way that trauma impacts you. So I want to specify that when your body does seem to be out of control and acting on its own accord, it is really only caring about getting out of danger or to save yourself survival. It's literally survival of the fittest in there, in your mind. Um, And you don't care about anything that's rational. You don't care about anything. You just want to maintain what is uncontrollable. um, And get away from that discomfort of feeling dysregulated so if you if this happens to you and you want to address it you could talk to somebody about it and it's good to be real about this with yourself if not someone else If you want more information about how trauma impacts your body there is a book called the body keeps the score and it'll give you all kinds of information about what your body does with your traumatic experiences because guess what we just don't get over it we don't just move on and keep it moving like i always say this is always easier said than done so don't be afraid to reach out and remember change is hard so be nice to yourself Thank you for tuning in to Deeply Rooted with Dr. Cortisa. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to share and support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and share the show with family and friends. And remember, on wash day, don't just wash your hair. Check your soul. This is brought to you by Alive Podcast Network.